find myself greatly humbled by the calling upon me this day to speak to you of the word of God. Even as we acknowledge that that which we have been given in the written text is in truth and in fact the revealed word of God. This is, this is God has made himself known. The creator, the sustainer of, of all that is. Making himself known through the written word. And that he would call me to speak to his people to expound upon his word, his revelation of himself. Yes, a call to great humility. I pray that God not only forgives me my shortcomings, but that you as well. As we look today to the book of Exodus, we continue to consider the hand of God. The hand of God in the salvation of his people, the nation of Israel. We have found them in chapter 18 encamped at the mountain of God. As Brother Ben has so faithfully expounded this revelation to us as the exodus is ongoing and God bringing his people out of the land of slavery, bringing them to the land flowing with milk and honey. As they have arrived now at this point in their journey, in their travels, in following God's leader, we find that Moses has been visited by his father-in-law, Jethro, who has a paramount role in our text today. I, too, am a father-in-law, and I like being a father-in-law. A father-in-law is one of God's most wonderful blessings, and I will explain that to you in a bit, but let's look at our text Exodus chapter 18, beginning at verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people 
with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing the thing with you will certainly wear for the thing is too heavy for you you are not able to do it alone now obey my voice i will give you advice and god be with you you shall represent the people before god and bring their cases to god and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away in his own, to his own country. God is not short-sighted, as many believe. For when they, they look at an individual, a, a singular event in God's Word, in the Bible, in Christian history, they look at this one event and they, they fall to the temptation to question God's wisdom maybe even questioning God's love. I'm confident you have heard it said, as I often have, people who would say a loving God wouldn't do that. Or even worse, in my eyes, my God wouldn't do that. God's purpose isn't always readily evident in single events. But never doubt for a moment that in all things recorded in Scripture, God is revealing His purpose to His people. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, not many things, not some sort of things. We know, we know that all things, 
are God working out his purpose for good to his people. That truth is as true in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. And as we read God's word, we should always be looking for how God is working out his good purpose in everything we read, in his revelation, in his word. So that we might discern, so that we might have the blessing of recognizing in this situation, this situation in the Exodus, how is God revealing anything for those who love him? We see the situation. Thousands and thousands of people following Moses as he follows God. Going who knows where. Problem after problem. Hindrance after hindrance. Issue after issue. Some have estimated that there are upwards of a million people in this throng. Do you know how many people a million people are? It's more than here on Sunday. It's a lot of people. I think, what, there's a, the population of, of Statesboro may be upward of 40,000 people. I don't think it's that many, but let's say it is. <laughs> that ain't even close to a million. And so it is that Moses is the leader. Moses is responsible for all these people. You want to say, Brother Bill, probably ain't a million. That's a lot of people. All right. I'll go along with you. Let's say a half a million. That make you better? No. Nah. Moses is the only. He is the one that God has set over the people to lead them into the land that God has prepared for them. These are regular people. People just like you and I. I'm here to tell you, if we were wandering in the wilderness like they were wandering in the wilderness, I wandered in a wilderness one time. I don't know good hour and a half or so and uh, I was ready to be back home thank you for laughing Patrick I appreciate that Patrick can wander in the wilderness for weeks and weeks and just ride at home but not most of us not most of us and they've got problems they've got issues things happen problems arise some people you may going to find this just hard to believe. Some people don't get along with other people. 
And so they, they have disputes with each other. And so who's going to decide who's right? Moses, Moses tells them, God has said, you shall have no other gods before me. And we sit around the campfire and we, we talk about that and we begin to wonder. We had questions. What, is, what does that mean? So who, who's, who's going to explain it to you? How do you find out? You got to go to Moses. The only one. Just Moses. And so while Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, is there, he sees that as Moses sits before his tent during the day, throngs, thousands, a small portion of the million, half million people come and they want Moses to decide their problems, their disputes, their arguments, their questions. What does God mean? How does God's word apply to our situation? Now, Moses was an Egyptian prince. Remember that? Remember? The whole bulrushes thing. He's in the river. The Egyptian princess finds Moses, sends him back to his mother for her to raise him from, a, from an infant. But when he's big enough, she sends him back to the castle. Moses goes and lives with Pharaoh's daughter in all the splendor and all the luxury and all the glory that is uh, the house of Pharaoh. Moses was an Egyptian prince. He had servants. He had people that, that waited on him. Moses exercised authority. He had the, the mindset, he's a, a prince. He has the mindset that when he speaks, people obey. They just do. There's no question about it. So Moses has a lot to learn about leadership. He has a lot to learn about leadership over a, a free people. Moses apparently had never considered that it might be a good thing to have some other people help him out in his responsibility for leading this God's people. Moses needed help. But the idea of how to get that help this idea had to come from someone that Moses would listen to. We don't, we don't listen to just everybody that wants to give us advice, do we? You can amen that. That's a, that's a fact. So it had to come from somebody that, that, <clears throat> that had some, some influence in Moses' life. And who better than his father-in-law, Jethro, to help Moses out here, to give him some advice, to show him the way that he could get the help that he really, really needed. 
So Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, as we learned last week, came to the camp, to the Hebrew camp, a polytheist. He was the priest of Midian, and they were polytheists. They had all kinds of idols and gods that they served. But when Jethro came to the Hebrew camp, and when Jethro heard the good news of what the Lord had been doing to save his people, Jethro's heart was changed. And Jethro was a believer in the one true God. Jethro was a believer in the Lord, the God of Moses. And Jethro then not only had Moses' ear because he's his father-in-law, but he can speak to Moses because he is a child of God. He is a believer. And so it was that Moses, or Jethro calls out Moses for his narrow-mindedness. I'd probably go on and preach a whole sermon about narrow-mindedness, but I'm not sure I can wrap around it. He says to Moses, you can't do this, son. You need help. Moses, Moses didn't need Jethro to tell him that he was wearing himself out. This tired-out leader of God's people recognizes good advice when he hears it. And he sees the value of dividing the work with others. But as Jethro, his father-in-law, gives him this advice, advice he, he insists, he insists that Moses recognize, accept, and follow this advice only in so much as Moses hears that this advice comes from God, that this is God's will, this is God's way, this is God's intention for Moses and his people. Jethro's advice, God's will. It is in obedience that we receive counsel from God's word. It is with prayerful consideration of God's word that we receive the counsel of man. When we get the advice of others, when we hear the counsel of our peers, we consider it in prayer as to how it parallels, how it is consistent how it goes along with what God has said in his word. And if it is consistent, if it does go along with what God has said, we can likely take that counsel, take that advice to heart. It's probably some news that we need to take to, to action. But, oh, sisters and brothers, if it is not according to God's word, if that advice, if that counsel does not go along with what God has said in his revealed word, leave it alone. Don't consider it. Don't put it in your mind, in your heart. Don't set it before you as a temptation. 
God's word is the word of our Lord for our lives. And he is working all things together for good to those who love him and that he has called. Amen. You and I trust his word, obey his word, live by the word of God. And those that would speak contrary, leave them alone. Moses' authority under Jethro's advice, as Moses has the calling of God to be God's spokesman, to be God's prophet, God's leader, God's elder over his people, the authority that God has given to Moses and that Moses is exercising from God is not in the least diminished by Jethro's advice. Look at verse 21. Here's one of Bill's favorite approaches. Pick up on that conjunction, that adverb. Moreover. Moreover. You see, what, what Jethro is, is advising is, is not to supplant, not to replace, not to, to overshadow Moses' responsibility and authority of God before the people, but rather it's in addition to, it's to supplement is to be a help. Moreover, right? Moses is still the prophet of God. Moses is the one who speaks God's word to the people. He is their preacher, their teacher. And all that these judges will do will be done in accordance with God's commandments as they have been made known to them through his servant, through his prophet, Moses. Moses understands, Moses realizes that Jethro's advice does come from God and he puts it into practice. We're told that Choosing from among all the people. From among all the people. Not from his own tribe. Not only from his allies. Not from his good old boy network. But from all the people. Moses appointed judges with the characteristics that his father-in-law had delineated. First, these were able men. Moses chose men who could do the job. Nothing about these guys would prevent them from fulfilling the office. This eliminates all those who are too busy, all those that have too much on their mind, it eliminates those who have no backbone without courage. It eliminates those that have no appreciation of mercy coupled with justice. No, those who would judge God's people must be able men. 
with wisdom from God, discerning, courageous, yet compassionate. These judges that would be appointed over the people must be able to do the job. They must be men who fear God. These men are to be a entrusted with the the application of God's word in people's lives. They had to be men who themselves were obedient and faithful to the Lord. If they are to be obedient and faithful to the Lord and His word, they they must know God's word. And in the knowledge of God's word, In the knowledge of God's word, they are compelled to worship God as he is worthy of worship. These are men able to fulfill the office. Men who have fear of God, who worship God, who know God's word and can apply God's word to the lives of God's people. This did not happen overnight. You do not become this person by a magic wand swapping you on the head. I don't care how many Disney movies you watch. No, these these are men who have applied themselves These are men who have been prepared to take on the responsibility that God would put upon them. These are men who are ready because they have given themselves to the service of the Lord. They have prepared by listening to, by knowing what God's commandments are for the lives of his people. They hadn't sat around all night watching TV. They didn't waste their Saturdays and Sundays on football games. That's okay. That's okay. But the servant of the Lord, the men who are able to fulfill the calling of God upon their lives, those who love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind and all their strength, they have given themselves to the Lord and to his word. They have prepared themselves to be his servant. They know God's word. They love God's word. And they will not approach this responsibility looking for ways to circumvent God's word, to explain it away, to excuse it, to substitute their own word, to substitute their own judgment, their own discernment, their own wisdom for God's word. They will not approach this task with the understanding, with the belief that God's word has to be adapted to current events. 
They won't apply this responsibility that that God's word is a a living document that then can be changed in order to how people want to live in the current day. No, they will understand that God's word is a solid rock upon which they must stand. Their love for the Lord and his word will compass them about and confine them to judge according to his truth. These are able men who fear God and are trustworthy. They're not, they're not susceptible to public opinion, not susceptible to popular opinion. They're more concerned with right and wrong than with what people think of them. These men are trustworthy, morally, ethically strong, able to stand regardless of where the wind blows. And having withstood all, they will stand trustworthy and finally interestingly enough these who would be judges over God's people must not be greedy of filthy lucre you'll forgive an old King Jameser but I always liked that phrase it has the feel in your tongue of exactly what it's talking about. No, these men will hate a bribe. These are men that are not motivated by money, by finances, by riches. They're not just unwilling to take a bribe. They hate a bribe. You see, this has to be included among this list of judges, of elders, of leaders of God's people. For corruption among leaders has been around since before the time of written history. This designation, this requirement among political leaders is found among the oldest of written texts that have been discovered by archaeologists. If you want to be an official in Hammurabi's court, you better not be taking bribes. It's a fact. It's an unfortunate fact that there are some who have sought positions of leadership in religious hierarchy for the exclusive purpose of getting rich, of getting rich by selling the prerogatives of their office. Now, this is kind of hard to take when you think about Baptist preachers. It's... uh, 
too many of them getting rich. Um, but I not too long ago finished reading a, a, a history of a family in, in medieval uh, uh, Italy that sought to have one of the members of their family become the pope. And, and their approach to this was to um, earn ever, ever great more money, more fortune. And eventually, they, they came to a place that they were actually so powerful and, and had so much money that they literally, literally bought the papacy. And one of this family members became the pope. Already rich, he becomes even richer by, by selling, selling the offices of cardinals to, to men who will then themselves go rich by, by being cardinals in this Roman church. I'm glad I read that so you don't have to. It'll break your heart. It's horrible. It's horrible. God did not smile upon those Romans. And this was, this was leading up to, well, not leading up to, this was the, the day when Martin Luther nailed up those 95, <laughs> 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door. And the big problems was, was the selling, right, selling of indulgences where you paid money. You understand what indulgences are? You paid money to get the Pope to forgive you of your sins or to get the Pope to forgive your dead relatives of their sins. They're already dead. The Roman church is telling them that these people are now in a place called purgatory that neither exist in the Bible or in reality. And you pay your hard-earned money to this guy to go to Rome that the Pope will sign off on decreasing your relative's time in purgatory where they ain't to begin with. It's all about money. The Roman church was spiraling ever deeper into corruption in the highest offices. Jethro had told Moses that in God's plan for the leadership of his people, he must find men who hate a bribe. They hate that snake, that poisonous snake. When you see that snake along the path, your immediate immediate reaction, immediate response is to step away, move back, get away. These judges must hate a bribe. These judges must understand that 
the authority that they were delegated to judge God's people according to, according to God's word was authority that was delegated to them from God and was not theirs for sale. If God's people are to be judged aright, they must be judged by elders who hate a bribe. Moses must look out amongst all the people and find men who are up to the job, who are faithful believers in the one true God, who are trustworthy, having the backbone to stand for the right and abhor the very idea of bribery. I spent a little bit of time considering these things And even as my mind wandered off to those who hold political office in our nation, and tears came to my eyes. How did we get here? How wonderful, how marvelous would it be if these were the standards that the people of this nation held up for our politicians. Demonstrating himself to be a wise judge, Moses chooses men by these standards in whom to delegate the responsibility of sitting as judges over God's people. Surely, we can see the long view here. Surely, we can see God working, working out his purpose among his people for his glory and for our joy. We can see here the forerunner of the leadership among the people of God in this age for how very similar are the characteristics in Exodus 18 with those of 1 Timothy 3, which has even more. In Jethro's advice to provide effective organization and leadership for God's people, we see God's purpose. God's purpose that his people be, by, be blessed by this organization and by this leadership. Teaching preaching and enforcing God's word. The church, the mystery hidden for the ages, modeled for us by Moses and the nation of Israel. What a blessing from the Lord our God. We have the revealed word of God we have the abiding presence of God the Holy Spirit. We are members of the body of Christ apparent in the world today. And within that body, we have elders that God has called 
to teach us to live in the riches of the bounty of his blessings. God had promised Moses that he would lead the people to a land flowing with milk and honey. In Jesus Christ, we are promised life, eternal life, to live with him for all of eternity. We are the wealthiest people who have ever lived on this planet. A passingly interesting little vignette in the great story of the Exodus, and yet reveals God working all things together for good. Let us be sure that we see that even as the people of Israel needed faithful judges, elders, to guide them, to reprove, to correct, and train them in God's word. So too is our need in this day. Furthermore, be sure that we see that the, the, the elder, the judge, the pastor is not a lone ranger, but rather trying to do everything himself serves neither himself, the people, nor God. It is God's intent that the leadership of his church be a shared ministry, both in Sinai and in Statesboro. Amen. Being a father-in-law is one of the greatest blessings from the Lord because being a father-in-law is a step towards grandchildren. Amen.